Welcome to Bar Fights with attorney and advocate Sarah Klein. Taking on issues that matter and advocating for legal, cultural, and political change everywhere in order to protect children and vulnerable adults. Joining the conversation are survivors, advocates, lawyers, media personalities, athletes, celebrities, authors, wellness aficionados, and many more. Because bringing real justice takes a team of experts who care. Now, leading the fight is your host, Sarah Klein. Hey, you guys, and welcome back to Bar Fights. I'm so happy you're here as always. And I say every show, I have a treat for you. And I really believe it every show, but this show, I really, 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 really believe it. Um, let me introduce you to my beautiful guest, Dr. Tama Bryant. She is so many things. She's a psychologist. And in fact, She's the 2023 president of the American Psychological Association, which is absolutely huge. Um, she's a tenured professor of psychology at Pepperdine. She's a podcast host, TEDx speaker, NAACP Image Award nominee, and she's an author. And one of the things we really want to talk about today is her incredible book called Homecoming, Overcome Fear and Trauma to Reclaim Your Whole Authentic Self. And one of the reasons I felt like Dr. Tama was so important and her voice was so important for this show is that one of the things that drew her to devoting her career to the psychology of trauma was spurred by being sexually assaulted herself when she was just 20 years old. And so she's here with us today, you guys, Dr. Tama Bryant. Welcome to Bar Fights. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited for the conversation and grateful for the work that you do. Oh my gosh, right back at you. So bring us back briefly to 20 years old, catalytic moment I can imagine in your life that has inspired probably much of the work you're doing today. Bring us back to that time in your life. Yeah, so I was a college student at Duke University and I went home for a break, uh, one of the breaks to Baltimore, Maryland. And as is usually the case, the offender was someone who was known to me. I think growing up, the messages we often get, which are also important are like, look, you know, carefully if you're walking in the dark or in a parking lot or, you know, if someone's in the backseat of your car, it's like all of this kind of stranger danger, um, which is important for us to share. But I think there is not enough uh, preparation, awareness, education for when this is someone who is known to you. Um, and so uh, the person who assaulted me uh, knew my family had been in my home before. So when they showed up on this particular day, it didn't um, cross my mind. I didn't question twice, kind of opening the door. Um, and then, you know, on the other side of the assault, uh, it's the, the secrecy and uh, the, the devastation, the shock. Um, and so um, I didn't uh, reported until years later. So too much time had passed. There's no like physical evidence by that point and nothing that could be done about it from that standpoint. Um, but when I got back to my college campus, 
is when I really uh, started to struggle. One of the consequences of sexual assault can be difficulty concentrating and focusing. And so that was disruptive to my whole sense of myself. Like one of the things about me growing up is school always came easy, you know, and I just loved learning. I loved reading. I, you know, just did well. And that was kind of central to who I understood myself to be. And so uh, when I got back to Duke University and for the first time, just couldn't retain information, like looking at a textbook and not knowing, like, what am I supposed to remember? What just, it was all gone. Uh, and this is an important one, not only in terms of uh, academics or schools, but there has been research done uh, where women, it was like a welfare to work program is what it was called years ago. And women who were given a job and could not maintain the job were by and large women with long-term untreated trauma. So it's like, even if you say, okay, I'm gonna hire them, but when you are trying to just um, soothe your nervous system, it's hard to focus on any other thing. Uh, so that, that was you know, part of my journey. And I already knew I wanted to major in psychology, but then I chose to focus on trauma. And I will say one of the great things at Duke, they had a work study program where you could work in the community and the school, the university would pay you. So I started working at a rape crisis center. And you know wow. that was an important piece as well as doing my own individual therapy. Um, but trying to be a part of, of changing systems and helping people. That's amazing. I get asked a lot, how do you do the work you do? Doesn't it hit a little close to home? Um, but there can be something really healing yes. about, you know, getting into it. That's right. And, and I think it is also what makes it sustainable, right? If uh, that we, I tell students when they're trying to pick a dissertation topic, you need to pick something you're passionate about because you're going to have to commit right? A lot of time. And so because I know personally, as well as from all the people that I've worked with, not only the devastating effects that it can have, but also I know personally the true possibility of healing, restoration, even thriving. Um, that is what keeps me doing the work. And I do want to name, I also work with offenders. And when I was younger, I didn't think I could do that. Just like emotionally, wow. I didn't think I would have the capacity. Um, but I want to name that that's important work to do as well, so that it's not just helping people in the aftermath, but how can we uh, try to shift some things so that uh, we can prevent uh, and reduce the risk of violation. Wouldn't that be <laughs> incredible, right? I mean, yes. in that work, you, you're probably seeing the direct effects of saving lives, right? I mean, you're That's literally right. saving lives. Yeah. Um, so th this is so perfect for my listeners. The, the question, um, everything you just said that comes to my mind is, okay, that all sounds great, but sitting where I'm sitting right now, is that even possible? How do we do it? How do we navigate 
our way out of the, the depression and the grief and the anxiety and the psychological trauma um, that stems from sexual trauma. I know you wrote a book about it, but tell us what was your experience? How yes. did you find your way out of it? And how can we find our way? So important. So one of the important things is to the extent that it's possible, trying to establish a sense of safety, stability, and routine in our current lives. You know, when we talk about, for example, post-traumatic stress, the idea is that it's post. So some people have had challenges healing because we continue to have unhealthy friendships or unhealthy dating relationships or dysfunctional dynamics with our family, or working at toxic jobs. And then we're wondering like, why don't I feel better? This was years ago. So it is looking at, you know, uh, to the level that I can, you know, whether that's uh, creating boundaries, whether that's releasing some people or reducing time or access to some people or circumstances, uh, trying to create a life where there is enough stability for my nervous system to actually be reprogrammed, right? Because we, you know, we may develop that hypervigilance. Now, if I'm super guarded, but uh, I'm continuing to live and exist in this toxic circumstance, that's going to be harder to do. So uh, a part of our healing is in relationships, right? That uh, one of the predictors of uh, our recovery is uh, the responses we get when we share. Right? Mm -hmm. So you can think about for those who, for example, may have been molested as children, it makes a big difference if people responded by believing you and by creating some safety for you versus if they blamed you, shamed you, or then just drop you back at those same people's house to babysit you again tomorrow. Right. That's a very different experience. So that's why, you know, the work of your podcast and other ways for us to spread uh, the spread awareness is so important, not only for those who have been directly targeted, but so that I can be a supportive friend or a family member, as opposed to saying, just don't talk about it um, or telling people like they need to, quote unquote, get over it. Um, and so having supportive friendships is healing. Uh, therapy uh, can be a very important, important part um, of our healing process. And then I also like to think of some uh, kind of self-care activities or self-help activities that people can do for their healing, such as journaling, right? Being able uh, to write and reflect because so many things we hold in. And then because we hold things in along with journaling movement, we hold a lot of stress in our bodies and a lot of those memories are locked in our bodies. And so uh, there's something called trauma-informed yoga, uh, but it could also just be like walking, dancing, uh, getting back connected with your body. And I will say, because I uh, dance, my I feel like dance saved my relationship with my body. So my association with my body is not just that this was something that was violated. Like I, I am connected to me separate from what somebody else did to me, right? So reconnecting with our bodies. I do wanna also say around reconnecting with our bodies that healthy uh, sexual intimacy is possible. 
I know, you know, for a lot of people, they can wonder, like, is can that ever be? And uh, it is possible when we are uh, in healthy, uh, nourishing relationships where we can be honest and authentic. And then I give people little hinters about like, open your eyes, right? <laughs> if your eyes are closed and you're a trauma uh, survivor, someone touches you in a particular way, it's more likely gonna trigger some kind of flashback. And so being able to see uh, where you are and who you're with and you all communicating with each other uh, can help you to stay present. And then, you know, taking it a step at a time instead of expecting so much from ourselves from the beginning. Um, so those are some of the ways we heal. And I'm going, okay, <laughs> I gotta overhaul some things. Yes, yes. <laughs> so much of that makes sense too. The hypervigilance, um, the feeling like it, when I get in an elevator, sometimes I feel like so nervous and like, who's going to touch me and where I, they're behind right. me. And I can't control it. And you're too close to me. Right. Yes. It's so, so true. So even being able to, in those moments, uh, we call it grounding exercises or self-soothing exercises. And so for grounding, we tell people to check in with their symptoms, uh, with their uh, senses. So it would be, let me look around and see like, what are three things I see in this elevator? Is there anything I smell in this elevator? What do I feel? So I feel like my glasses on my nose, I feel my shoes on my feet. You know, so all of that connects me in uh, the present taste, if I still taste my toothpaste or my tea. Or, you know? So that helps your nervous system to kind of regulate itself, is pay attention to the senses. There's also compassion holds. So uh, some of, we, we often do it without thinking, but hugging yourself. You know, you just crisscross your arms and hold yourself. That's a way of like saying, I got you, right? I'm here, it's okay. Or hand on the heart. Again, that's one sometimes we just do automatically. Your hands on your belly and just taking a breath. And when you make your exhale longer, it lets, it tells your nervous system, I'm safe. Because when we're not safe, we like hold our breath, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so when I give that like kind of long exhale, and my nervous system is like, oh, we, we must be okay. I love that. Those are so helpful. Um, what are some of the stories that you've seen, some success stories you've seen? I want to leave my give my listeners hope here where people were, because I think with all survivors, there's a sense of aloneness, mm -hmm. right? Like, I'm the only one and I'm the only one who's never going to be able to move past this or who's going to struggle with this or get freaked out on elevators or, you know, whatever. Yeah. What are some of the, what are some of the, I, I hate to call them success stories, yes, but yes, you know, but, mm -hmm. I will say, you know, I am like intentional about naming the fact that I'm a survivor and I think to help like shatter that shame and silence and there has never been a gathering where I share that, no matter how small or large, where there isn't someone afterwards who comes up and says, me too, right? And this is in all walks of life. I think sometimes people have an idea that it's only in their point of devastation. Um, but, you know, just a lot of people don't name it publicly, but have, have come through those challenging uh, times. And, I, you know, I want to be realistic in the sense that it does change you. 
right? So I am not who I was before. And at the same time, I, I authentically have joy in my life, right? So uh, I think sometimes we get this idea that like to be healed means I would never think about it again or it would never bother me. But, you know, it's an ongoing process. And then different points in your life will, you know, bring it back to the surface, maybe. So like if you have a child and then they're the age you were when that happened to you, right, then you may have that. Or you mentioned like elevator, certain places. Um, but also it's incredible to see uh, the restoration and people finding voice. And that's one of the reasons why I do love uh, group therapy, because an individual, sometimes people think, oh, the therapist is just being encouraging because that's their job, right? But when you're in a group format and people are in different places in their healing, they can share uh, their journey. So a simple one was uh, just on a college campus. Most of the survivors were undergraduate, but there was also a graduate student who was married and literally the undergraduate survivors said, you mean you have sex and you like it? <laughs> she was like, I love it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's so simple, but it's right? amazing, right? Yes. It gives them some, somebody to look up to and that's say, right. well, if they can do it, maybe I can do it yes. too. Yes, yes. So it's really uh, beautiful to know and to see. And I would say also just around finding our voice, because when uh, you have been violated Often, uh, for some people, they go into that freeze mode or people pleasing in order to try to stay safe. And so, you know, just those, uh, that growth of being able to speak up for yourself, you know, in issues large or small, to even be able to say, I disagree or that I'm offended or actually that's not what I said, right? That uh, takes, you know, courage and breakthrough and safety for people who learned to just be silent and still and wait for bad things to end, right? So finding that empowerment is, is really great. Oh my gosh, I have the chills. Um, tell me tell me about the topic of self-love. Mm-hmm. I, I hear about it. I'm not sure even at you know 43 years old, I'm sure what that means. Yes. Um, and I think when we think about child sexual trauma or childhood trauma at all mm-hmm. you know sometimes and you're you're the psychologist but i feel like sometimes i think to myself you know we we never found a voice to start with yeah. or a sense of self to even start with yes. so now you're telling me love yourself well who is that self what are you talking mm-hmm. about I yes <laughs> oh i i so appreciate you naming that because especially for people who the trauma started early, they can feel like I don't have a self to return to. That's it. And, you know, and what I like to say to that is it's not too late to create her or him or them, right? To define what you want to be, right? So sometimes it's, some of us never had an experience of being at home with ourselves to say that it got disrupted. It's like having grown up, like uh, disconnected from yourself or always trying to be observant to what do other people want me to be or do or say or dress or behave. Uh, And so it is uh, 
to love myself is to begin to tell myself the truth and then to honor that truth, right? So it does, self-love doesn't require perfection, right? So when I tell myself the truth, it may be I'm afraid and I'm gonna honor the fact that I'm afraid to do this new thing. And that's my way of loving myself, that I don't have to pretend that I have no feelings or needs or feel guilty about that or ashamed of it. It is, you know, actually that it, this is what I feel or what I think or what I need. And I'm gonna uh, honor myself for that and provide care for myself. So love is an action word. It's not just a thought. So let me treat myself as if I love myself. And then in behavioral psychology, we would say kind of act as if, and then some of the shifting will happen. So it would be like, if I love myself in this moment and I'm uncomfortable here, I would get up and leave. So even though I'm not sure I love myself, let me just get up and leave because I don't <laughs> like it here. <laughs> right? So I start to, instead of like, skipping uh, meals or getting no sleep. Let me let me uh, let myself go to bed earlier because if I love myself, that's what I would do, right? And then in the, in the behavior, the shifting can start to happen. That's such a great question. Like I'm thinking if I woke up tomorrow and said, what would this day look like if I, right? Like Hi, if I love myself, if I right? love myself, I'd probably say no a lot more. Yes. <laughs> I'd probably put boundaries on my time, right. More, right? Like you just right off the top of your head. I'm like, there are little shifts, right? right. And, and often many of us are very good at loving others, oh. right? So, you know, if you're in a romantic relationship or if you have children or you take care of your parents, then you may say like, oh, because I love them, I do this for them. I'm going to, you know, we, we come up with all these grand things because we want other people to feel loved. And so mm -hmm. to like turn that on myself, instead of sometimes we're perpetually waiting for other people to do it. And, and of course, that is a wonderful thing. And I'm, I'm never one of those people who if someone says they're lonely, I'm not going to say just love yourself because it's not the same thing, right? <laughs> like companionship is not the same thing, yeah. um, but we need both. Oh my gosh. I love that. I yeah. love that. This is so good and so helpful. So Dr. Tama, what are you working on now? I, I have to just note, I follow you on Instagram. It is the most uplifting, inspiring, beautiful for anybody that wants to see stuff in their feed that is going to change your day for the better. That is going to, you know, make you feel not alone. That is going to give you that little nugget, um, that you can carry around that day. You need to follow this beautiful woman on Instagram. It's, it's really something um what you've been through and and how you're using it for good to touch so many of our lives but what are you up to now we have uh, the book we yes. have I looked at your speaking schedule on your website and I said <laughs> I have never met someone that has as crazy of a life as I do <laughs> yay <laughs> kindred spirits yes oh my gosh yes I'm I'm so excited with uh there are several things happening one so I have the book Homecoming, and I'm so excited that uh, the publisher uh, gave a green light for me to do the workbook. So I'm yeah. right. Yes, exactly. You know, at the end of each chapter in the regular book, I give a homework assignment. But there are just so many different, as we've been talking about today, like exercises that people can do. 
to try to implement it. Because sometimes we read a good book, but it like doesn't take hold. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, so I'm working on the homecoming workbook. And um, I also, in my role as uh, president of the American Psychological Association, I'm so excited. I'm going to get to speak at the Middle Eastern Psychological Association Conference in Kuwait. Wow. Right? So that is uh, just so exciting for me. I, I've always had a love for global psychology. I used to be uh, a psychology representative at the United Nations. And so I was uh, able to earlier this year, along with some uh, other psychologists from our board, uh, provide some free workshops uh, in Bermuda on psychology. So I have that, you know, uh, global uh, issues interest. Uh, and then uh, coming up, we have our Council of Representatives. Uh, meeting, and that's looking at kind of the education and training process for future psychologists. So I'm I'm just grateful to be able to be a part um, of the work that's happening, kind of really create positive changes. And another area that we're doing a lot of work in is around uh, equity, uh, diversity, and inclusion, uh, but trying to make sure that that permeates every area. So in our research, in our teaching, in our consultation and practice to always pay attention to people's various identities. I love that. Yeah. I love that. What don't you do, beautiful woman? Uh, <laughs> what don't you do? I don't sew. I was <laughs> oh my gosh. Amazing. Yeah. You guys, Dr. Tama has an amazing website where you can get to know her even better. It's drtama, T-H-E-M-A dot com. And also, as I mentioned, her Instagram at Dr. Period Tama, T-H-E-M-A. Your resume is a five miles long, but what I love most is your heart and your spirit and my appreciation to you for doing this incredibly important work. All my love, Dr. Tama Bryant, thank you so much for being here today. Oh, thank you for having me and much love to you and to your listeners. For listening to Bar Fights with attorney Sarah Klein, taking on issues that matter. Please check out our website at barfightspodcast.com, Instagram at barfightspodcast, or Twitter at barfights underscore pod for the latest show updates and archives.